highlight of the service right there. Uh, good morning, everybody. I feel a little loud. Uh, this microphone. Uh, Alan, could you turn me down just a little bit, please? One, two, yeah, right about there. Thanks. Thank you. Um, first and foremost, I have to offer up an apology, an official one, on uh, to my Zoom meeting uh, compatriots. I decided to take an afternoon nap on Friday and never woke up. Yeah, so uh, I missed the whole meeting, and uh, I want to apologize for that. Although uh, my schedule's been pretty crazy with school, but that's there's no excuse for that. So I still feel pretty bad about it. Um, I also wanted to remind you all and all those online, if you need to, if you have questions or you need to talk to your pastor, need a pa- need dial a pastor, you know, whatever you need. That I'm I'm here for you if uh, you need either encouragement or instruction or ministering to uh, email me and um, and then we'll we'll get to it again if I'm napping you might have to wait until I wake up so uh, also there's uh, uh, no class next week so you all know that but just a reminder again we'll be back from Washington on. We, Come back in on Saturday, so we'll have class on Sunday, and no classes this week. All right. Uh, I wanted to open up with, Alan, could you put me up a little? (laughs) I'm sorry, man. I'm particular. There we go. Perfect, perfect. Um, I wanted to uh, show you something here, something that I came across this week that I thought was, was very interesting, just to open up things, and it's about papyrus of all st- of all things and this is what papyrus is so papyrus is a plant There's plenty of it in egypt uh where where paper was we think perhaps first made maybe maybe somewhere else uh but the uh the plant that you see there is um has a, a thick stalk to it and within that stalk they would peel the outer layer off uh, if you peel off the outer layer, it's very fibrous and can be used to build shoes, uh, baskets, and even boats that make uh, like little canoes out of this stuff. But on the inside of the stem, if you uh, break it into pieces and hammer it flat, then you, you're on your way to making paper. Uh, the reason why this is important is because it's papyrus that your New Testament is originally written on. Uh, <clears throat> so once it's hammered flat, you soak it in water for a week. Uh, the reason you soak it in water is to reduce the sugar content. And once the sugar content gets low enough, you can uh, layer them. And so they'd layer them uh, vertically and horizontally. So if I can, let me see if I can't get this bigger for me. Apparently not. There we go. So uh, if you notice on this, this is some, I don't even know what this is. This is a picture on it for some reason. But um, if you, you can see with underneath it, there's like uh, strips going this way. <laughs> As you can see, I'm not much of a scribe. And there's strips going downward. And so they uh, horizontally and vertically, they layer these things on top of each other. Then they press it down. Uh, once you press it down for another week... Uh, then it dries out and it sticks together. They didn't have glue. So this wet papyrus 
they put together and make sure that it was uh, ready to go. So two weeks in preparation. And so this paper, uh, though quite uh, convenient to use, uh, it was expensive. Uh, they estimate around $100 in our, our age and our money per sheet. You know, you buy a ream of paper, which is 500 sheets now for a few bucks. They're, they're about $100 a sheet. Uh, and so when you finish it, you get something like this. So uh, see, this picture, right here, you can actually go on Amazon and buy this. I, I didn't know that. You can, for about 20 bucks, you can get about 10 sheets of this stuff that's made somewhere. Um, it was alluring. I, I thought I might have. It would have been fun. We could have passed it out, you know, uh, to have some visual aids. Uh, <clears throat> and so once it was finished, this paper was very strong. In the right climate, it lasts for thousands of years. Thousands. We still see the, the one on right there is from 200 AD. And that is a copy of um, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 20, 1133 through 12, 9. Right, so that's one of the earliest manuscripts that we have. We don't have the originals, but that's written about, that's copied about 150 years after the original is written. Uh, <clears throat> and so, lucky for God, this paper lasts a long time if it's in a dry climate. And so we can get like very early, we have thousands of these copies like this. Uh, so uh, here's another aspect to it. This is what really interested me, that the finished product has lines in it and it's rough. It's very rough, it's a strong paper, but it's very rough. And to write on it clearly and legibly, you had to stay within the lines. And as you can see, you'd have to be very neat with your penmanship. And the paper's bumpy. It's rough and it's bumpy. And so if, if you don't have good eyesight, your hands shake a little. If it were me trying to write on this, forget it. Uh, but some people would be trained as secretaries or scribes to actually write on this stuff and to write well. <clears throat> and so if you've ever heard that, and I, when I first heard that Paul dictated his letters... I was a bit shocked. I mean, why wouldn't the Apostle Paul write his own letters? Especially, I mean, come on, this is the Word of God. But here's the reason. The reason why he would dictate, and the other apostles likely as well, is they would dictate their letters to a professional secretary who could write this clearly, legibly, and neatly on this hard-to-write-on papyrus. Uh, and then once it was copied, you know, once it got to the churches, it'd be copied by people who were also trained uh, to write on it. And of course, you know, so uh, <clears throat> at the end of the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you in my own hand. Why would he have to write that? It's because most of the time he has a secretary. But to the Galatians, who had gotten themselves in a bunch of trouble with legalistic Judaizers, he, and his letter to them is harsh. Who has bewitched you foolish Galatians? He wanted to make sure he wrote, at, the, at least at the end, that he wrote in his own hand, yeah, this is me. So, you know, he, he was, uh, so anyway, I thought that was really uh, quite interesting. So, uh, yeah, so there you go. We strive to educate here at Grace and Truth Ministries. Exactly. Now you know.
So if someone comes up to yeah, someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, I heard Paul dictated his letters." You can say, "Well, let me tell you why," and they'll be they'll be quite impressed. All right, let's uh, open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our time together to hear His Word, which is always it's so important. Uh, no matter where we are in life, no matter what's going on, no matter what situations are, God's Word is His communication to us so that we can get through. We'll talk about that a bit this morning. So with reverence and humility and great thankfulness to God for His person and His love, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that today is another day in which You have provided for us everything that we need. We may not have everything that we want, but we have what we need. Give us today our daily bread. We also thank You, Father, that through our own choices and our weakness, we have sinned, but You have forgiven us. We are completely forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. So you so loved the world that you gave your only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. We are completely forgiven. As your servant Paul wrote in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And though we are beset by temptation and we have the devil lurking around seeking to devour, we know, Father, that you will deliver and that you will give us strength and you will forgive when we fail and that you will lead us on and strengthen us in your word and in your truth and in your love. You will confirm to us who you are and what you are to us. We thank you, Father, that that confirmation and that assurance gives us great courage and hope no matter what we face. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We ask, Father, that your blessing be upon our service this morning. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please. Morning has broken like the first morning. That bird has spoken. Like the first bird, praise for the singing, praise for the morning, praise for them springing fresh from the word. Sweet the rains new fall, sun went from heaven. For the sweetness of the wet garden, sprung in completeness, where his feet pass.
Uh, we're going to start in John 17. John 17. Now that sounds too loud. Am I? Is it me or am I? Oh, oh, it's because we turned up the music right. A uh, little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. There you go. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that's good. Um, now, uh, we're, we're continuing to talk about prayer. And, uh, yeah, it's I, I'm, I'm basically just going with what uh it's really a progression of discovery i guess and is uh i think w- with me and i i don't like um outlined things cuz i don't think we live that way you know we we could do a whole section on method and then a whole section on experience and then a whole section on theology of prayer and get it all written down and I's dotted, T's crossed, but, you know, I don't, we don't really live that way. And, and, and prayer's not that way either. There are so many different kinds of prayer uh, where, you know, that are all absolutely legitimate, uh, but there's, if we read through the Psalms, which are a lot of prayers, there's a lot of different kinds. There's praise of God, adoration of God, there's thankfulness of God. There's a couple of Psalms where there's arguing with God which those are fun ones. And we think, oh, man, I would, would, would you ever do that? <laughs> I've done it so many times. But like, and it's not so much arguing as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated and at times. And, you know, you're <clears throat> you can go to God with your frustration. But as, as the Lord taught us to pray, and, and uh, the more I've done this, the more firmly I believe it to be true that before you get to anything about what you want, what you need, what your frustration is, what your questions are, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Holy be your name. It's actually in, a, in an imperative. It's a command that we're commanding. Holy be your name. You know, it's, and it, and it, it gets your head straight. You know, what are you what are you doing here at the throne of of God? Who is he and who are you and why are you here? You know, when you call him our father, it means that Christ has ransomed all of us. Right? It's our father. I'm not alone in this. There's others with me or in the body of Christ, and the only reason that he is my father is because of the incredible sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on my behalf. And it's very important to be reminded of that before you get to what you think you need or want at a particular time, which absolutely might be legitimate. I'm not saying it's not legitimate what you want or need. It's just that have your, have your mind set. I mean, our Father who is in heaven, we're actually forced to kind of look at the cross before we get to us. Because the only reason he's our Father, uh, the only reason we have confident access to him is through the finished work of Christ. And so it, it gets you grounded and as we've talked about, and I think you'll see this, if oftentimes your problem is fixed because the problem generally exists most of the time just in our own soul that's not thinking right or looking right. We're not looking at the right thing. We're not, our perception's off. Uh, and uh, our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name, is a way of getting our perception right. And then oftentimes um, what we're concerned about or troubled about is gone. 
Uh, as far as prayer is, you know, uh, th- this has often been a question, and it's uh, historically recorded of the great the greats of the past, theologians or pastors who have prayed much and were known for their prayer lives, is how much and how often. How often do you pray? What is legitimate? Paul says, pray without ceasing. He obviously doesn't mean that we're to be praying every waking moment uh, because we've got things to do. Uh, And so it's impossible to pray every moment. So what does he mean? And, And certainly he would... It's variously interpreted as pray when it's necessary, uh, pray at every opportunity, and and those are good. I, I agree with that. But you know when is it necessary and when is the opportunity? And one of the things that, <clears throat> if we look at it this way, it might help clarify that. That, um, for instance, to the one that you're closest to in life. One or there's always just only a few people that you're really close to. Um, how often do you speak with them, and you know, do you keep a record of that? And none of us do. But if there's someone close in your life, and I don't mean live people are close to me, but they're at such a long distance, they're on the East Coast, I hardly ever talk to them. But when it comes to my wife, we talk quite a bit. But we don't kind of you know write it down. <laughs> Uh, we don't have a list. We speak. And I think it's a good way to think of our prayer lives as one conversation with God over your entire life. And it enables us not to struggle with those questions about how often and how long prayer should be. It's a lifelong conversation with him. And so we would say, you know, at this point in my life, have I talked to him enough? Have I heard from him enough? And we'll probably all of us say, no, not enough. Um, but your your conversation with God is uh, if the part of if we understand that part of prayer is getting to know God, all right, searching Him out, it's a discovery, right? Prayer is an encounter with God. It is, as one writer put it, it is the most rewarding thing to do that is easy, because it is easy. Easy-ish. I know at times it's 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 a struggle, but um, and as our like with people, as we mature, our conversation with God will proceed and mature over time. And when that's true, when your conversation with God is uh, not just some superficial thing, uh, not just some procedure that you go through, but is actual uh, coming in contact with God and, and, and truly uh, being, knowing and feeling in his presence that the uh, heaven becomes ordinary. Heaven will become your ordinary life, right? Remember, we're citizens of heaven and that we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son and we're speaking to our father and as your prayer life progresses to one where you actually, uh, by faith, truly know that this is a conversation and an encounter with the Almighty God, and that you use this encounter to speak with Him often, 
when, when life gets you down or things get mundane or I'm being tempted or I'm getting angry, I'm getting whatever, you feel yourself getting off course. This is, you know, this is the prayer, as one writer put it, they're flares. Shooting up a flare to the Father from our flare gun, it's a five-minute prayer. That is just, Father, my head is going somewhere. I don't want it to go. I'm being tempted in ways that I know if I head down this road, this is I know where I'm going to end up because I've been down that road too much. But even in the five-minute flare prayers, that's a good phrase for them. <laughs> I, just, I just coined that. Our Father... Don't jump right to your, I'm bitter, I'm angry, this problem, this person, this me, my sin. Don't jump right to it. I love how in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus put sin in there. The more I look into this prayer, the more I see its value. Forgive us our sins. And all of us theological brainiacs, we say, wait a minute, our sins are already forgiven. Why are we even saying that? Because you're a sinner. You must never forget you're forgiven. Sins are not to be hid from God. Confess them. Confess them all. But to know that you are forgiven and, what does he say after that? Forgive others in the same way. Which keeps us off the pedestal of judgment. And we're all in need of forgiveness. Daily. And he reminds us of that. So as, you know, when we start off these prayers that are quick flares to God to get us on the right path, your Father is in heaven and holy is His name. Yeah? Even, it only takes 30 seconds. And then to say, you know what, your kingdom is coming, your will will be done. And this is, my little problem starts to shrink a little in light of the mastery that is God and His kingdom and His will. They're coming. They're coming. As I was reading about, I was reading about uh, what's the psalm? I've gotten myself a couple of days behind in the Bible reading, but uh, I think it was Psalm 105. It was. It was the one this morning. And Psalm 105 is all about what God did for Israel. It's a it's about 40 lines or so of the history of God delivering Israel. Right, right through Egypt, Pharaoh, the plagues, Joseph, into the promised land. And it's all spelled out there. And it's praise of God for his ability to do that. Right, So if God wants to overthrow a king, it's easy for him. He didn't struggle to get Pharaoh and put Pharaoh in his place. He didn't struggle to release Israel in freedom and give them a land that he promised them. He didn't, it's easy for him to do. The things that we can get really upset about are things that God could easily undo or do. And, uh, you know, we're all upset about them. And it's therefore, if it's easy for God to control history, say, then, you know, we may not like the things that are happening around us. I'm sure Moses didn't, li- I know Moses didn't like it. <laughs> That's why he hit the rock twice. He was fed up after 40 years in the wilderness. But, you know, God can fix these things or change these things. And therefore, if he hasn't, then it's his will. And that's your will be done, right? We have to get ourselves in line with that. 
That doesn't mean that we like what's happening or condone it. I mean, I think of like our nation and the path that it's headed down. This is ugliness. But anyway, so um, as heaven, when, when prayer becomes what it should be, heaven becomes your ordinary life. Because you're always going there to talk with your father. Uh, and this world becomes more alien. And this world doesn't fit you like it used to. We all get that. And it feels a little uncomfortable, but that's the way it should be. Uh, so praying becomes meeting with God and like all deep conversations, we discover deep things about ourselves and about the one we're talking to. You know, how often do we have deep conversations with people? Most conversations are just superficial. And if, you're, if your conversations with God are superficial, you're not discovering him. Don't forget, he knows everything. You can open up about it all. You're discovering him when you do that. And discovering yourself. We share our inner selves. When we do that, we grow closer with another and more comfortable. As long as they're accepting of us. <laughs> you ever shared your inner self with someone and they, their reaction is, ooh, uh, yeah, I don't want to be with you anymore. Uh, God would never do that. Right? God would never do that. We share our inner selves. We grow, grow closer, more comfortable with the other. And superficial conversations don't do that. Don't be superficial with God. <clears throat> we should not base prayer on solely on how we feel, but on beholding on who God is. We're not always in the mood to pray, but we should. Uh, we sh because what are we doing here? We're beholding God. Even when we're going to him for solutions to problems or <clears throat> fulfillment of needs, that we're beholding him. The one who by grace can give. The one who by grace can, can forgive and, and heal situations. And so, this is why it is so important that our prayer life is based on the Word of God and not what we think God wants to hear or we think He's pleased with hearing. Uh, people have done that, and you know, in our own imagination, we can imagine God wanting to hear all kinds of things, and we imagine God in our own image. It's supposed to be the other way around. Uh, that God... You know, he wants to do this for me. He wants to do that for me. There's a, uh, in one of the books, there's, the books I read on prayer, there's an example of George Whitefield. And George Whitefield was a prominent, actually is, uh, it is suggested that he's one of the greatest preachers of all time, uh, whatever. I mean, I'm sure he was great. But Whitefield could gather huge crowds, huge crowds. And this was during the Great Awakening in America. Uh, others with him were John Wesley, a contemporary with him, and uh, Owens, uh, I think uh, the, the Puritan. And, uh, <clears throat> and in America, it was a boom in uh, gospel preaching and biblical preaching. And they, they were pretty solid on. And Whit Whitefield was an amazing evangelist, and he had a son. And he was very convinced that the, his son would be another great evangelist. Uh, and so he named him 
John, was it John after John the Baptist? Yeah, because his wife's name was Elizabeth. That's a John the Baptist's mother was named Elizabeth. And, he, and it all came together for, for Whitefield that this would work. And he baptized his son in front of a huge crowd at one of his gatherings. Actually, there's uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin writes of Whitefield. Benjamin Franklin went to one of his meetings in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And he said, Whitefield's voice could carry like you, you couldn't believe. And he actually walked, he went up to the podium, and then uh, Franklin did, because he's such a scientist, and he, he counted the paces away until he couldn't hear his voice anymore. And I forget what the number was, but it was something like, without a microphone, how is that possible? And <clears throat> even Franklin was impressed. Um, and so wife, in one of these huge crowds, baptizes his son and says, my son is going to be a great evangelist. And he was sure of it. And his son died young, something like four months old. And you can imagine how heartbroken they were, but he writes of this. And he, he writes how wrong he was. He was sure in his heart, it's an excessive example, but he was sure in his heart that God was going to do this. How many of us have done that? We're absolutely sure that God, he has to do it this way. And he doesn't. And we're disappointed. But it's not our will be done, is it? <laughs> Even the Lord in Gethsemane is, let this cup pass from me if it's possible. But your will be done, not mine. So we have to base our prayer lives on the Word of God. And we'll find ourselves, if we don't base our prayer lives on the Word of God, We'll find ourselves praying for things that we would like to think what God wants to hear and what we think God is going to prefer to do or prefer for us. As many studies have been done in this, and currently in Western culture, many want God as a loving and forgiving God. Loving and forgiving, but not holy, not just, not transcendent. Studies of the spiritual lives of young adults in Western countries reveal that their prayers are generally devoid of repentance and the joy of being forgiven. They don't really focus too much on their sins. Their prayers are more for personal therapy and fulfilling their emotional needs. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're going to God for therapy, I do it all the time. I need therapy. <laughs> He's my great psychiatrist. Uh, <clears throat> but if that's all your prayers are, your relationship with God is very one-sided. There's much here. Uh, to throw out the holiness, it's what the Corinthians did, right? The Corinthians were all into uh, God's forgiveness and eternal life, and they loved it, and they lived very immoral lives and excused themselves by, you know, shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? They, The Corinthians would have said, absolutely, you know? But, uh, God is holy, just. And all of this we need to explore. That's right. And I think, again, a gander at the Psalms from time to time. Now, I was wondering when I was reading Psalm 105 this morning, I'm like, how would, I pr how would this turn into a prayer for me? Because it's about God delivering Israel. What's that got to do with me? And you just only have to think about it for a few minutes, not even that long. You say, it's got everything to do with me. 
If God is going to deliver them, is He going to deliver me? What about all my failures in the past that have, at times, I think, disqualifies me from anything good from God? And he's like, uh, what about Israel? How many times did he say to Israel, just come back to me? I'll forgive everything. Just come back to me. What about David and his horrible decision? And David writes in Psalm 51 that the offering, the sacrifice to God is a broken and contrite heart. And that is what God is looking for. Will you come back to me? Do you want to walk with me? Do you want to be with me? Do you want to see me? Do you want to know me? Do you have eyes to hear and eyes eyes to hear? Sorry. Do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? Because if you do, I'll reveal myself to you. And here, prayer becomes an, an, a foundational part of our Christian lives. Without prayer that answers the God of the Bible, we'll only be talking to ourselves. We're speaking to a God whose characteristics we have made up in our own minds. And he always likes to hear what we're saying. And that is not it. It's always the God of the Bible. Uh, as one author, his name is Peterson, writes, what is essential in prayer is not what we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. What does he want? Who is he? Who am I with him? Because what I am with God and from God is what my existence is. I, uh, what I, my own conjured self-image is not me. It's who God desires me to be. That's me. And that's why we find ourselves. When we grow up spiritually, we find out who we are. And in prayer, we find out who we are. So we're looking for him, right? Not us. Say, God, how can I put this so you'll do what I want you to do? They say, you can try all you want. <laughs> I am not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I will to do. Now, what I'm trying to do for you is to get you to see that will and to see how beautiful it is, how much better it is than your own. Because eye is not seen, ear is not heard, not entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So, find this. In other words, find me. And what is the Holy Spirit's main ministry? To show us the Lord Jesus Christ. John 16, 14. And Jesus said, the things of the Father are my things. So you see my things, you see his things. And that's we see God. So we may get the strong impression that God wants to do a certain thing, but if that thing is not in the word of God, you don't know. So be patient and defer to him. There's many instances of that. And one that came to me today. So today is, uh, and I was uh, uh, texted by... One of my favorite, I think I said this during the week, one of my favorite Raptards texted me today, Ellen Woods, and uh, she said, Rosh Hashanah is Sunday. Hold, happy Rosh Hashanah, it's today. And these many people, including Arnold Frutenbaum, uh, thinks that the rapture is going to come on Rosh Hashanah. So she said, wouldn't it be wonderful for all of us, we're in church, we're worshiping God together, and then bam, we're in heaven. That would be great. I don't think any of us are going to complain about that. We have to leave the donuts and stuff behind. But 
You know, is Christ going to return? Yes. Do we know when? No. Sorry. Sorry, Raptards. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You may have a strong feeling. You don't know. It hasn't happened yet. On the East Coast, it's 2 in the afternoon. So, they've only they've got a short time to go. So, the lesson is that God will surely guide our thoughts and prompt our actions, but we can't be sure about anything being from God unless it is in the Scripture. So, our prayer life is a conversation with God based on the Word of God. And that's what we base it with. So, when Jesus gives us this very fast, uh, you know, short prayer with six petitions in it, in the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, everything in there is based on God's will. Correct? It's not based on, oh God, you know, give us this or give us that. <laughs> Jesus, he says, give us our bread. I'm like, oh man, why didn't he say, give us a million dollars or a billion dollars? Why didn't he say, give us riches and gold and honor and health? Mm-mm. Needs. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get needs. And it might only be bread. There might be a lot more with it, which we have. But uh, you're going to get your needs. And don't forget, you are a sinner day in and day out. And don't forget that the evil one lurks. Deliver us from evil, right? That's the last line. Deliver us from evil. He lurks. Every day is the potential for it. So be alert. So we go back to Paul's letters. Be alert. Peter writes the same thing. Be alert. Be sober. As the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't think you stand lest you fall. Right. So it's all here for us to live a life. And we've got this life that we can live, which is the life of Christ. We've got to be in communion with our Father or we'll... Get our minds off of it. And there's parts of it we won't understand unless we talk to him about it. Now, it's a conversation with God. Now, the, the person that you converse with the most and that you, you know, whose heart you know, uh, that wouldn't happen if there wasn't love. It has to be love. Right, when uh, you've been in relationships where love has turned sour, you know, it's uh, things have gone wrong, well, what happens to your communication? What happens to your the connection, obviously, disappears. Uh, God loves us, and we're told to love him. Uh, simple as can be, right? That we are loved by God. So as John writes in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Jesus told us to love one another as I have loved you. And that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and all your spirit. And so conversations can only be deep and meaningful where there is love. When you're speaking to God, the Father, you're speaking to one who loves you like he loves his Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to show, Jesus is going to show us. I, when, when he was here on earth, he spoke and was in contact to his Father, saw the things that he needed through his Father. 
There was love between them, and as there is love between us. Now, so if we can, if we can know how God speaks to us, then we can learn how to answer Him properly. Um, you know, if it's something like, for instance, Eastern religions have a very impersonal God. In Eastern religions, God is, if you have one. In some Eastern religions, there is none. Like uh, Buddhists talk about, they, they don't have a god. They have like a blob out there that's like an energy source or something. But, you know, it's very impersonal. So what happens if you're trying to, I don't know, have contact with something that's very impersonal? It's impossible. And so this is what they do. So, but they, you know, people want contact. And you know, Satan is behind all these false religions, we understand. So when people want contact and you don't have a personal God, you have to take language out. Because who are you talking to? Right? It's, there's no language there. So what you do is you go into this uh, you know, meditation in which there's various tricks that they have by which you lose consciousness. Right? You, you lose all self-awareness. And somehow in this meditative nirvana state, you get absorbed into or you're whatever, in contact with the blob out there. Boy, it sounds attractive, doesn't it? But yet, we're made in God's image. We think. And if we're not talking to each other in language, even our thoughts, when we don't speak, we're speaking in terms of words. Sorry, we're thinking in terms of words. Our language, we think in terms of English. And so if we can't talk to God... In language, there's no contact. And so amazingly, it's something that, uh, you know, I, when I came across this point as somebody had made out, I was like, well, that's, you know, sort of obvious. But I'm like, have I ever thought of that? What language does God speak? Hebrew? <laughs> so I think that, you know, the oldest, when, when God says, let there be light, it's in Hebrew. When he says uh, day one, he uses the word akav. You know, I mean, all you Colonel Theme listeners know the word akav. <laughs> From the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is akav. So uh, that means one. So does God speak? He Well, of course, he speaks all languages. That's a neat little thing that I learned in Greek class that uh, when Jesus, Jesus would have likely spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And in the Sermon on the Mount, there's from you know, Matthew 5 through 7, there's certain phrases that only make sense in Greek. In other words, it's stated in such an idiomatic way that in another language it doesn't actually make, it, make much sense. So uh, scholars are pretty, they think that Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount in Greek. And that is the, the uh, lingua franca, the, the common language of the day. Like everybody spoke a little bit of Greek. Uh, so um, anyway, you know, what language does God speak? But we know he speaks a language. In the beginning, God said. I don't know what words he used, but maybe he did. He spoke in Hebrew. Well, there was no one there to hear him yet. Besides the angels, I guess. 
So it's easy to overlook that there's two things here that are involved that are actually quite marvelous when we think about it. And language is wonderful. Uh, I'm le- the more I learn, I'm trying to learn Greek now, it's so funny. The, you, we're all tricked in the first year of Greek because it's basically simple translations and the vocabulary. And the vocabulary is a lot of English-like, plus I've been at this for a lot of years and I know a lot of the words. And I'm like, Greek is pretty easy. I don't know what all the fuss is about. And then this year, <laughs> now we're into syntax. And Greek is complex. When it comes to syntax, the, the rules of how those sentences are put together, oh, man, there's a lot. So, yeah, I got tricked. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, so, anyway, um, you know, language is wonderful. The ability to use words, like we have in, in the Bible, we have not just one kind of literature, do we? God uses narration, the stories of like kings and Samuel, uh, and also Genesis through um, Deuteronomy, you know, the, the Pentateuch. We, we have poetry, we have prophecy, we have uh, like the... The, the letters that we have are kind of not really narrations, but what I mean that by that is the letters in the New Testament are kind of instructive, uh, and the Gospels are more historical and narrative. But And we have a wide range of different kinds of communication, and they all have their own way about them. So if you're reading Hebrew poetry and you're not reading it like poetry, there's a whole bunch you're going to miss. You have to know it's poetry and read it as such. And Hebrewism, uh, you know, love their standard is parallelism when it comes to poetry. And here's another thing about language. Hebrew parallelism is you're going to state a thought and then you're going to restate the same thought in probably a deeper way in the next line. They don't use meter and they don't use rhyme. Because when you transfer that to another language, Meter and rhyme are different. They're gone. The same, it's not the same words. They're not going to rhyme. But when you use parallelism, it's this thought and that thought that comes across into every language. So just like papyrus lasts for thousands of years, Hebrew poetry will transfer to any language just fine. God is pretty lucky. <laughs> He's pretty smart is what he is. Uh, so one thing that's easy to overlook is that God's contact with us is in language. Say, so, but I don't hear him. I don't hear him. Yeah, you do. You have the word of God. There it is right in front of you, word after word after word, hundreds of thousands of words. And love. Language and love. And this brings the ability to communicate, and to communicate openly and without fear. There's the love part. I don't fear, I I mean, I have fear of God, absolutely. I respect and honor Him, but my communication with Him is one of not fearing Him, but confidently and boldly coming to Him to speak. And I put my speaking in terms of words, which have to be intelligent. So when we learn to love God, 
our conversation with him will go to a higher level. More open, more seeking, more wanting of him. And in all honesty, of all things in life that people want, and they think that those things are going to give them fulfillment or happiness, all of them are a lie. There is one thing that we want, we need, and that is God himself. That's why, you know, the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, is to reveal to us the Son. Because that's all you need, is to see him. That's it. Everything else will come. Seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness. All things will be added to you. So God certainly uses language. Let's see our Lord. We're in John 17. Oh, it took me a while to get here. John 17, 1. These things Jesus spoke, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee, even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that, that to all whom thou hast given him may he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ who you have sent. How in the world are we going to know him without language? He speaks to us in ways that we can understand from his word and also in prayer. So, uh, this, as the Lord prays here, it's intelligent and it's right to the point. This whole, this whole chapter is his last recorded prayer. Well, not technically, he prays on the cross as well, but, you know, this is his, you know, major prayer that only John records in John chapter 17. And it doesn't have flowery language, uh, nothing like that. It is straight to the point, intelligent, and exactly what he wants, he states it. And, and what he wants, is not for himself. Though he starts off for himself, you know, uh, let's, uh, what he wants is that he may return to the glory that they had before the foundation of the world. That he prays for himself. But then he prays for us. He prays for the church throughout the rest of it. That we may be sanctified, that we may be inducted into the love that the Son and the Father have, that we may see that love between the Son and the Father And again, again, Jesus commanded us to love like he loves. And to be in that love, be in the sanctification. And sanctification meaning set apart unto God in life based upon the truth. That's what the Lord says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's in this prayer. And so what do we have? And at the end of it, to be in the love of the Son and the Father. So we have the truth and we have love. And then to, from both of these, we establish our confident, comfortable, and praise God, forgiven relationship with Him. So love and meaningful language make a prayer life that will continue to mature and bless you. Uh, It takes exploration of language, but God's language. What I mean by that is God's word. Uh, With him, and I I would throw out there again, going over the Psalms and praying them. 
Just take any any thought from them or any any passage. It could be. It doesn't have to be the Psalms. It could be any passage of the Scripture. And speak to him about it. Ask him for clarity. Ask him to find him. So, again, love and meaningful language make a prayer life that will continue to mature and bless. So, as Jesus just told us, in verse 3, eternal life is the one who has, the possessor of eternal life knows the Father. And so, we have to know him. How are we going to know him? Jesus told us in the upper room that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us the Son, and that the Son is going to reveal, when you see the Son, you see the Father. He said we share the same things because we're both deity. So go to John 5. John, look at John 5:19. Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. So you see, in the in the earthly ministry of our Lord, he is looking to what the Father is doing. So in this kind of, what's the right word, Uh, difficult to understand kenosis doctrine. Kenosis doctrine is from that word, it's the Greek word in Philippians 2 that says Jesus emptied himself of his deity. But he really emptied himself of or denied himself the use of the overt manifestation of deity. And he's acting just like a human being. And he's limited himself as a human being. And, and therefore, from that limitation, which is a great help to us, because if we read the Gospels and we just see God doing all kinds of deity God stuff, <laughs> there's a technical term for you, that, you know, we're, we got nothing. We, don't, we can't do that. But yet, limiting himself as a human being, though perfect, but even... The perfect one has limited and weakened himself to the point where he can't just switch on the deity thing and say, oh, I know exactly what to do. No, he looks to his father. And how does he look to his father? Old Testament. Prophets. The writings. Moses. That's who he's looking to. And he prays. He prays all the time. So we see he's quoting the Old Testament all the time. When he's resurrected and he shows the disciples all that he had to do, right? What did he refer them to? The Old Testament. The Psalms, the writings, the prophets, and the law. He showed, them, he showed the disciples, look, this is what the Messiah had to go through. Look, it's right here. It's always been right in front of you, right under your nose. So how did Jesus learn how he was going to do? Right from the same place. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus, in the love of his Father and the language from his Father, 
gave the Son of God the exact thing that He needed to do. And notice in verse 20, the Father loves the Son. What does the Father love you? Just like He loves His Son. We are in the Beloved. That's uh, Ephesians 1.5, I think. We're in the Beloved. We are loved like He is. You know, if you're not convinced in a supernatural way from the Holy Spirit within, remember we did this last week, this, we cry out, Abba, Father, right? We cry out, Abba, Father, like all the time. Why do we do that? Because the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If the Holy Spirit isn't in us, complete, uh, constantly convincing us that we're the children of God, And we see all of this, the love of the Father, the word of the Father, comparing ourselves to how Jesus Christ lived this life. Would we be convinced by our own performance that God loves us? Would we be convinced by our past, by our our own performance in the Christian life? How we've done, how we've done so far? You know, would we be convinced that we have this position where the Father loves us like the Son? None of us would. Not if we're honest with ourselves. But yet, despite all of what we've done and thought and should have done but didn't do, that we know the Father loves us just like He loves the Son. And being convinced of this, well, that makes me think of the song... <laughs> I, I laugh, as, um, I, I probably shouldn't tell you because you might start doing it. Um, Maggie, sings, Maggie sings that song. Sorry, I should get to the point, right? I do this all the time, but it drives Chris crazy. I'll start talking about something and leave out the subject for like 10 minutes, and she'll be like, can you tell me what you're talking about, please? The song, Love Lifted Me, Maggie, Maggie started singing it at home. She goes, love lifted me, peacock, love lifted me, peacock. We're like, what are you thinking? And she said, Peacock. She just thinks it fits perfectly there. So every time Chris and I sing this here, the two of us, we look at each other today, we're like, Peacock. So I was looking at Maggie to see if she was singing it. Well, so anyway, that's a side story. Uh, What lifts us out of the miry clay, right? That song is spot on there. When it, when it comes to doctrinally, how does God convince us to follow Him? I mean, discipline helps. I'm not saying it don't. <laughs> pain of doing the wrong thing helps, but pain that comes from doing the wrong thing will only get you so far. You might find another wrong thing that's not so painful. I mean, the Christian life is not... I mean, the, I would say the minor part of the Christian life is avoiding the thou shalt not. But the main thrust of Christianity is following and doing and picking up your cross and going. And that's the positive things that we do, the thou shalt do's. And how are we going to do that and be motivated to do that and, and be of the sort that says, you know, I want to do that. More than anything, that's what I want to do. And it's the love of God. The love of God shows us this. His gentleness, his patience, 
His great patience. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a great example like in this like say with Peter. Right? Peter denies the Lord three times. And the Lord we find out, we don't know what the Lord said to him, but we find out Paul writes in First Corinthians fifteen, and Paul spent two weeks alone with Peter after Paul's conversion. He would have heard all about this. That the Lord came to Peter one on one after his denial. To what? Wave his finger in his face and say, I told you so? Uh, We wouldn't even think that for a moment. To recover him. To show him his love. To say, Peter, everything I said about you, that you're going to lead these people, and when Satan demanded to sift you like wheat, I prayed that you would not lose faith. And you are not going to lose faith with your resurrected Lord standing right here in front of you. Now get out of your self-pity. Pick yourself up and let's go. Because you are loved, Peter. And we fast forward in John to John 21 where they're all out fishing and they see the Lord on the beach. And who jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore? They don't even wait for the boat to pull in. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore. And that's where God asks him, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, Lord, you know I love you. He asks him three times. Peter gets mad. Do you love me? And feed my sheep. Do my will. So if we're going to navigate this incredible, wonderful life, we've got to stay in contact. And this is very real. Right? I think one of the reasons that people don't pray, besides being busy, uh, we live in a very superficial, busy world. And prayer, prayer is contemplative, deep thinking, and alone. And in our world, nobody wants to do any of those things. Everything's quick and surface-like. But um, also, the idea that it, you know, what does it really do? That's, you know, one of the other reasons why, um, you know, prayer, I think, is not very much used. Is that people don't, people don't think that it really does anything. Right? I prayed for this and I prayed for that and nothing happened. And, uh, you know, we've got to understand that in prayer is incredibly uh, productive in the fact that it's our communication, intelligent communication and contact with God by which we are coming to know him. And so its meaning and its purpose is expressed in language, in a language, in language that is surrounded by love. So the Son and the Father communicated intelligently through words. It is divine discourse. Uh, some people, some of course philosophers say that God is spirit. He doesn't really speak in words. <laughs> These are the same ones who think all the stories in the Bible are myths, but that's not true. Uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. In Hebrews chapter 1, how were the heavens and the earth created? By the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will not pass away. Jesus, and Jesus also said that uh, I will speak and they'll come out of the graves. Lazarus, come forth. Right? God's word, God's words are equated with action and power and goodness. 
And so why would we not speak to Him in His Word? Based on His Word. Because the Word of God is alive and powerful. Alright, let's look at a psalm and a couple of psalms and then we'll close it up. So there is no place besides the Word, to find truth that is worthy of communication with God. Look at uh, Psalm 86. Again, there is no other place besides the Word to find truth that is worthy of communicating with God. The biblical pattern entails us meditating on the Word of God and responding to God with our entire soul and heart. Uh, The Word of God is, as I just said, alive and powerful, as you know, and to be responded to not half-heartedly. God's Word are words that create the universe, that raise people from the dead. Their, their word, the word is alive and powerful. We should not respond to it half-heartedly or superficially, but we should seek its meaning. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's the, the truth behind the word of God. Anybody could memorize it. I'm, again, I would say that if you wanted to try memorizing some passages, I think there's great benefit to it because you have to go, to memorize a passage, you have to go over it and over it and over and over it. And if you're someone who loves the Word of God, when you go over it, you're going to think about it and think about its meaning. Um, Not that you have to, of course. What I mean is memorize. But the, the Word of God demands our entire attention. And I know at times it's very hard to do that and, I, you know, when I'm doing my Bible reading in the morning, like if you do that or at any time of the day, I mean, you know that at times you're alert and you're concentrating and it seems easy and you're, you're getting it all as you're going through. It's very enjoyable. And at other times, you can't concentrate hardly at all. I mean, I find myself reading a whole paragraph and then going, what, what did I just read? And I've been thinking about something else. And so I go back and reread it, and then I'm <laughs> the same thing usually happens twice. And I'm like, I just reread that twice, and I still haven't gotten it. But, um, you know, so at times it is difficult. We all understand that. But, you know, it, God didn't make our lives super easy. Uh, and so, and it causes us to search. And so, anyway, look at Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great. Loving kindness is covenant love or steadfast love. Your your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Teach me your way, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And so, you know, this, this is a prayer to teach your way. But the teaching comes from the Word of God. It's true. And also our prayer lives guide us in the understanding of what the Word of God is saying. We're going to God and opening up our, 
the, the channels of communication that we may seek him. So we, and, and this isn't the only reason for prayer. There's also thanksgiving and seeking for things that we need, uh, asking for others, which we call petition. I haven't gotten to those yet, but this, this first part is about seeking God himself in prayer. Spending time with him in prayer. Focus, and, and in a way, you're meditating on his word that you wouldn't have normally done. And if you turn to the Psalms and meditate on those in your prayer life, those, there are things that are going to come up in there that are thoughts you would have never thought to think about. <laughs> so, you know, you, <clears throat> they, they will open up things for us that we haven't considered. And every one of them, all 150 Psalms are there with a purpose. Right? They're not just random songs that God decided to throw in the Scripture. Every one of them have a, a, an eternal purpose in the communication of God to his people. And, as, uh, and by the way, there's 150 psalms, and the first two are an introduction to the rest of the book. And the very first psalm, I'm using this at uh, Joey's wedding on uh, Friday, the very first psalm is a psalm that says, get your head straight before you read the rest. And it's all about, it's very quick, it's only six lines. But it's about us having, it's about a tree planted next to a stream that always produces fruit in its proper season because the tree loves the law of God. And so, it's in a way, Psalm 1 is saying, do you love the law of God? Meaning, do you love the word of God? And ask yourself that before you head off into the, singing the psalms and stuff or praying them. So, anyway, it's marvelous. It comes with an introduction. So, we speak to God and meet God through his word. Here, the language and the exact words don't really matter because there are different translations. There are different languages. But the truths that are in every Bible, every Bible that's sufficiently translated, are eternal. It says, a man I met down here uh, this week told me that the King James was flawed. I'm like, yeah, there are places in the King James where it's flawed. But if you read the King James, you're going to see the deity of Christ. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. You're going to see Christ dying for your sins. You're going to see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going to see the Trinity. You're going to see every truth in there. But, right, people will say, hey, King James is flawed. You don't need the Bible. Uh, uh, No, it's convenient if you don't want to read the Bible. It's a convenient excuse, but it is no excuse. You could learn a whole lot about God and salvation and the history of redemption with the King James Bible. So, we communicate with God in these truths. So that's why we can and should pray passages, pray psalms, and none of it has to technically be memorized. And we can read them while we pray as if we're sitting with our friend and teacher. Right? The parakletos is a teacher, meaning the helper. And you cannot, it cannot be true of any other person that you could read their book with them and understand that mind. 
with God reading His book with Him. Reading His Word with Him. And in prayer is you sitting with the teacher one-on-one and learning. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Your Word. Thank You that You uh, revealed to us so many things through prayer and through Your Word that guides us in the understanding of so many things. We we seek Your will, Father. We seek Your uh, understanding of You so that we may uh, see You in Your Word. By seeing You, Father, seeing Your glory, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, that that glory is transferred to our glory as if we're looking in a mirror and we are changed. We thank You, Father, for Your grace and mercy that changes us. We ask in Christ's name, Amen. We'll take our offering this morning. Let's pray for our offering. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give. And we give. We know that it's a privilege. We give as your believer priests in honor of you. And we thank you for the opportunity. We pray that the finances that we have would be used to your glory. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our gathering. Thank you for the opportunity and place that we have to worship you together. The closing moments of our service are always dedicated to anyone who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. If you have not believed upon him and you're listening to my voice, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world and through Him is, and only through Him, is salvation offered to mankind. He has died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, and that means that He's died for your sins. The only thing preventing you from heaven is your belief. It's not of works, but of faith. To believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as He is the only one, the Son of God who became a man, He willingly went to the cross to be judged for the sins of the whole world. While he hung there on the cross, the Father judged him from heaven for every sin. He took our place and on our behalf, he died. And therefore, if you believe upon him, you will be saved. Thank you, Father, for your word and for our, our, our church. And we... Pray your blessing upon all of us this week, and we ask in Christ's name, amen.